1: Thanks for being here. Let's open with a word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we want you to continue to show us how a balanced spiritual life leads to godly emotions. Thank you, dear Lord, that we do reflect your image. Help us to reflect it purely when it comes to our emotional well-being and expression. Thank you for Borgman and this book, and bless this lesson in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I've got a review question just to see who's been paying attention. It's pretty easy, but I'm not gonna ask you to blurt it out. I just wanna take a look for the younger adults, younger people in the congregation. Have you been paying attention to this at all? Do you think you can answer a simple question? You all can think about it, answer it in your mind here. Okay, here's the question. When you express your feelings, you're showing me what you blank. When you express your feelings, you're showing me what you blank. Think about it. Any of the younger folks have an answer? Don't, you can't give her the answer. She <laughs> me All right, go ahead and blur it out.
0: What is it kind of? Feel.
1: That's another way of saying it. When you show me your feelings, you are showing me what you blank. Wow! Yeah. Did I tell you the downloads uh, are available on our website? We
0: <laughs> have an answer.
1: Was that we have an answer? Think, believe. believe. Oh, what you believe, believe, what you value. That was
0: a hard one to say. Scared I walked in thirty seconds too late. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're
1: all showing me what you believe now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't believe
0: in bulletins.
1: No, oh, so when you display your emotions, you are showing people what you value, what you believe. I mean, think about the advertisements that appeal to your emotions on save the trees, save the baby, save the rescue animal, save the climate. They're appealing to an emotional Belief that you have. I found it very interesting when listening to a news podcast this week, Friday, as a matter of fact, that this particular news item came up. There was recently a Gallup poll gauging the opinions of people when it comes to whether they trust their local and national news. And the way it was worded is, and this is what caught my attention, do you have emotional trust in local or national news organizations? That's the way it was phrased. Since we've been through this study, my ears perked up. Do you have emotional trust in those organizations that provide your local or national news? I'm thinking emotional trust, what are they getting at here? So during this news item, the uh, reporter described what the definition, what the definition of Gallup had for emotional trust. And emotional trust, they say, is driven by the belief that news organizations care, report with honest intentions, and are reliable. I take that as a no. <laughs> Interesting. We just said that when you display your emotions, you're showing me what you value. I thought it was an interesting question. Who do you emotionally trust? Do the news organizations express your values, and do you trust them emotionally? Amazing. And you know what was funny? The, the, over 50% of the people said that they actually believe that the news organizations make things up. It wasn't just that they lie, they, they, they don't trust them to be accurate. They just, 50% said they just don't believe, the, 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 the news organizations lie. I thought that was an interesting start to today because we have talked about emotions. Tell me what you believe, what I believe, what we value. And we have gone up to this point to establish the foundation of emotional truth. Three pillars we talked about, right? The character of God. The character of God. He has emotions. They're always perfectly conforming to his will. And they express what he values. You are made in his image. You have emotions. It's a good thing. So let's sanctify them. Pillar number two, justification. The doctrine of justification in faith alone, by Christ alone, which basically takes the sanctification of your emotions out of your hands, but there is means of grace and strength to sanctify your emotions. And number three pillar is, you have to have hope in your future glory or perseverance of the saints, right? Two reformed ideologies contribute to the proper sanctification of your god imaging emotions justification and the hope of future glory future glory was we talked about the balance between the not yet and what's going to be what what is and what is not yet what you can expect from your emotions as a believer now ongoing sanctification and what the ultimate hope of future glory is going to provide as the ultimate sanctification of your emotions That to be said, we're in chapter seven, how to handle the emotions through truth. Now we're going to give you biblical examples of how you should do it. C.S. Lewis wrote, most emphatically, the Psalms must be read as poems, as lyrics, with licenses, and all the formalities, the hyperboles, the emotional, rather than logical connections, which are proper to lyrical poetry, they must be read as poems if they are to be understood. And we're going to get into some of those psalms as models for us. As we grow, we want to be conformed to the image of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. While being conformed, we are learning to direct our emotions to properly respond to the truth. We should view the emotions as good, although fallen, and a part of God's image in us, and an inherent part of our humanity in order for our emotions to be sanctified we must handle them by the truth and that truth is always found in the person of god himself the character of god and ultimately it is the encounter with god that changes us and here's a couple of red star items for this morning The Word of God is our infallible guide to our emotional life, and the Word of God is foundational upon which we build our emotional sanctification. The Word, through the Spirit, helps us not to suppress our emotions, but to cultivate and communicate them with Spirit-empowered self-discipline. So now we're going to go into a section that Borgman gave us called the Psalms. And we are going to look at a, or as Pastor Beg would say, the (laughs) sands. We begin with the Psalms because the Psalms are poetry. And poetry is the language of experience. Roses are red, violets are blue. You have emotions and I do too. I didn't write that down, that was ad hoc. We will begin with the lament psalms. They are not the jubilant songs of praise. They were written from the depths. The lament psalms are concrete examples of how to handle the emotions through truth, the truth of God's word. What are the typical elements of a lament psalm? Number one, there's the address. Basically, to whom are we lamenting? And then the introductory petition and then the lament. Number three, you have the the lament proper, the body of the lament. It's like writing an essay, right? Number four, then you have the confession of trust. And number five, then you have the vow of praise and then the petition. There is no mistaking these psalms when you see these lament psalms. They have a common denominator of grief. There is disappointment, sadness, sorrow, sickness, depression, darkness, crying, distress, complaint. These psalms give us a biblical model for dealing with difficult times and tough emotional circumstances. Let's take a look at Psalm 6. You can turn there if you like, give you a few seconds. This is a good psalm to start with, Psalm 6. Psalm 6 begins with an avalanche of emotions. Let's read. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? So that's the first five verses. Verse 6 then underlines the writer's distraught state. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Now you go to verse 7. It shows the physical effects of the distress. My eye wastes, wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. And then there is a sudden shift, a radical change in atmosphere. Verses 8 through 10. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. You can hear it in the psalm here. Oh, yeah, I remember the Lord. Why is there such a change of emotional direction? There is new confidence. It comes because the sufferer is convinced that the truth of God and his... That the truth, that his God hears his prayers and will answer his prayers. The truth that God hears his prayers and sees his pain pulls the psalmist out of the ocean of tears and fills him with confidence that God is faithful. Okay, that's an example. Psalm 16 now. Psalm 16 basically puts this pattern in principle form. And if you read verses 8 through 9 of Psalm 16... I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken, therefore. My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You see, David keeps the truth of who God is, and what God is like in the forefront of his mind. He did not occasionally think about God. He regularly thought about God. David's support and strength Is the presence and the power of his God, our God. Truth about God and trust in God form immovable pillars. Once again, truth about God and trust in God form immovable pillars. Do you emotionally trust your news organizations? What are they asking you? Are they a pillar of your life? Oh, heck no. (laughs) That's what people are saying. David then says there are emotional results, gladness, rejoicing, felt security. Truth is fueled and shaping the emotions. So the Psalms reveal this pattern in a multitude of ways. Psalms such as 42 through 43 and 77. Among many others express the same patterns of disorientation distress, and pain. In each lament, what pulls the psalmist through is God-centered truth. The psalms expose the heart, lay bare the emotions, and point us to God. Well, that was the psalms. Let's talk about the lamentations of Jeremiah. I mean, that's a book that tells you what emotions the writer was feeling. The Lamentations of Jeremiah, or the Book of Lamentations. Another example of how to handle the emotions through truth comes to us from the Book of Lamentations. Lamentations is open-wounded, inside-out misery. Jeremiah loved and ministered to people who rejected him and his message. No one listened. Consequently, Jeremiah's prophecies were fulfilled, and the Babylonian War ensued. Jerusalem, his home, lay in a heap of smoldering rubble, and Jeremiah picks up his pen. He writes from the heart. He writes theology. He writes poetry. He writes in agony. Jeremiah appears to reach a place where his faith is hanging by a thread, Lamentations 3, 19 through 20. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. There's a song that features the wormwood and the gall. Then there is a breakthrough. He begins to preach truth to himself, what we all should do. He begins to embrace the truth, and the truth begins to do his work, to do its work. Lamentations three twenty-one through 25. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Notice the first step. He gets a grip by means of what he thinks. He starts thinking thoughts about God, who God is, and what he is like. He starts to think true things about God and starts (coughs) preaching them to himself. Like God's covenant love never ceases, that is a fact. His mercies never come to an end, that is a fact. His mercies are new every morning, that's a fact. And great is his faithfulness, that's a fact, Jack. The circumstances of what Jeremiah sees cannot change these truths. What he sees cannot change these truths. Wasn't there a scripture that says, do not believe what you see? Faith is the evidence of things unseen. His eternal perspective begins to blow away the fog of emotional confusion. Truth triumphs over feelings of despair. Biblical equilibrium is restored and hope and confident expectation is restored. Once again, biblical equilibrium. We talked about it the other week. The balance between the now and the not yet. What are your expectations for sanctification in the here and now? And what are the expectations for future glory, your future sanctification? Have that balance. This is not your best life now. Let's refer to Paul's laments. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 2nd Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. Now, this is Paul's lesson that he picked up in Asia. And there are many New Testament examples with a single truth and pattern. So Borgman wants us to focus on one of his favorites. The Apostle Paul knew affliction. He knew tribulation and trials. But there was one affliction that outweighed them all. Something happened to Paul in Asia that would forever mark him. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10, Paul speaks of an affliction that came to him while he was in Asia. Quote, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. The severity of the affliction is captured by the word burden, which implies a heaviness that is difficult to bear. He was burdened beyond his ability to bear it. But the conclusion is stunning. We despaired of life itself. We despaired of life itself. The sentence of death that hung over his head probably meant the affliction was so intense and the despair so severe that it seemed that the only way out was death. We can so super spiritualize the Christian life that we do not leave room for times of deep, painful, faith shaking affliction. Right. Paul knew the reality and power of Christ's strength. I mean, he's the one that wrote Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Him It gives me strength. Right. He knew the reality of not reaching that place of utter despair. He, He'd written, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, 2 Corinthians 4:8. He knew this. He also wrote, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to everybody. But from the deepest and darkest corner of this anguish, truths, some truths gripped him and guided him out of his despair. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10 again. We had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. But in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. What are the two truths there? We had the sentence of death within ourselves. Do they trust themselves to get out of it? Boy, is that so countercultural today. The truth is not in me. I'm going to change my body. I'll get me out of this. Truth number one is negative, so that we would not trust in ourselves. Trust in the Lord. The second truth is positive in God who raises the dead. Paul then celebrates the divine deliverance. He delivered us from so great a peril of death. So Paul, now armed with the truth, gains a restored confidence. He will deliver us. He did an emotional 180 from despairing of life to a renewed confidence in the God who raises the dead. That turnaround catapulted Paul's rejuvenated faith forward. It was a lesson learned, a hope revived, and a reality reminded. The truth about God, his sovereign purpose, and his resurrection power was an emotional lifeline that brought him back to stability, faith, and confidence in God, as with all the other examples we cited here, folks. Do you have emotional trust in the news? No. Even if I could trust them, I wouldn't have my emotional trust in the news. You know, we've talked about this before. Those great words in a lot of scriptures, but God, but God. Do not lean on your own understanding, folks. Yes, your emotions tell me what you believe. And when I show mine, it'll tell you what I believe, what I value at that moment. Does it sanctify? Probably not. Maybe it is. But the psalmists, the prophets, and apostles were all real people with real struggles. Their lives are grand stages for lessons of God's light and hope. Let's learn from them. Fill your mind with truths about the Lord we will find our faith rising higher and higher and our emotions stabilizing. But our emotions will do more than merely stabilize. We can find our emotions responding to truth such that we are gladly trusting, truly trusting, truly rejoicing, and resting with a contentment of heart that surpasses any human explanation. Lord, Thank you for the calm you brought us today. Thank you for showing us what we believe. And we confess and repent that if that belief wasn't fully in you, we now turn that to you and we look to worship you in truth and in spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.